Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Moss and Friends. On today's episode, we speak with Catherine Cross of Anja about building your business in public quickly, going viral, and using social media as a tool to build your business. We are really excited about this episode and we hope you enjoy. Hello everybody and welcome back to Moss and Friends. We're here today with our friend Catherine Cross of Anja. Catherine and I met through Twitter, which is kind of my favorite place to meet people. And we've had a few really great chats about everything she's up to around reproductive and women's health, her various talents across content creation and social media management and starting a Gen Z agency, which is so cool and definitely something that uh, we want to dive into at some point. But I would love for you to start off by just telling us a bit about yourself and um, filling people in on Anja. Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, well, thanks so much for having me. I actually used to have a podcast statement piece that was on fashion and pop culture um, with a business and social justice lens. So yeah, I'm familiar with this environment. Um, but yeah, so I started, um, so I, I, I graduated from Wellesley College in 2020. It was during COVID. And when I graduated, I had a lot of friends who had jobs that were delayed. And um, I was one of my final friends to have my job pushed as well. I was supposed to start work as a product designer in July, right after I graduated, but it got pushed to kind of an unknown date. So at that point, I was really interested in entrepreneurship and just putting my time to good use. And especially my friend's time, we were all just kind of sitting around. So I had this idea to help small businesses. Um, It was also right around the rejuvenation of BLM. So people were constantly talking about empowering small businesses. So I created Bridge Strategy, um, which initially started as a pro bono consultancy. And we kind of sold this idea of having a Gen Z edge, um, some management consulting experience with things like pricing strategy and management, but also especially social media marketing strategy, since we were all around 22 or younger. So I worked on that for a bit, but realized that I really wanted to work on a more kind of scalable business and one that was a product. I kind of didn't like doing a service because I felt like I had to basically create a new product with every client. And so then I I got on Twitter to initially engage in the BLM discourse, but then I started following like random product designers. And then one product designer I followed liked this tweet about Launch House. So I moved into Launch House in January, which is kind of a co-living space for entrepreneurs. And there I just felt really inspired um, by all the people around me and was suddenly exposed to Silicon Valley and had never been before. So from there, I was just brainstorming what to do next. And then in February, my brother who had cerebral palsy passed away. And so that really inspired me to work in healthcare. And initially I thought about working in the surrogacy space because one of my close family friends had a rough surrogacy journey. And I thought that that was a good kind of initial edge into healthcare. But as I was working within surrogacy, I spoke with some surrogates and parents and realized that there was kind of a greater need in umbilical cord blood banking. A lot of surrogacy agencies were unaware of it. And I'd kind of passively talked to them about it because umbilical cord blood treatments was something that my mom was always looking into for my brother and his cerebral palsy. So about a month and a half ago, I pivoted into umbilical cord blood banking. And so what was Anja Surrogacy is now Anja 
just focusing on umbilical cord blood banking. And then I think in the future, we'll potentially look into surrogacy as well. But for now, looking at freezing umbilical cords and utilizing its stem cells for later use in life in the case that the baby is diagnosed with any kind of diseases or um, encounters like serious physical trauma or anything like that. Your story is so incredible and personal. And I think a lot of people end up in the design for healthcare space, whether they have a background in design or not, because they're impacted personally by something like that. And I would love to just hear a little bit more about when you sort of made that decision to pivot into the umbilical cord blood banking and what the first couple of weeks or couple of months of that and the research and the, you know, like you said, the conversations, what that experience was like for you, especially being so fresh out of school, being kind of like exposed to this new environment with Launch House that was very Silicon Valley oriented. Like, how did that feel? And, and what was that like? I'm curious. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love Launch House. I really think it changed the course of my career because I always thought that I always wanted to do something different from kind of the norm. So I didn't really want to work like a corporate job. I knew someday I wanted to be an entrepreneur, but I think um, going to Wellesley for some reason, you would think because it's so women empowerment focused, there would be a lot of entrepreneurs, but there really isn't. It's kind of a pipeline into finance. So to me, it seemed like most people worked in corporate jobs and had their fun like stint in their twenties in New York city or what have you, and then would go on to do something else greater. But moving into Launch House made me realize that you can do that as soon as you want. So when I decided to pivot into cord blood banking, I decided that because there had been about two weeks the prior where I was working on Andrew's surrogacy, and I just realized that I was kind of losing fervor for it. I felt like a little lost, wasn't quite sure what the product would exactly be, and was just felt like I was kind of hitting a wall and realize that a lot of entrepreneurs hit walls, but if you are in a space that you really like, you will push past it. But I think I just realized I wasn't like as willing to push past it because I just didn't know too much. So I think umbilical cord blood banking was something easier for me to pivot into as well, because my family had always been really exposed to it since my mom spent so long trying to find a match for my brother. And about a year ago, my mom started also finding, um, stem cells for my grandpa to use as well because he was developing dementia. So I think I just had been more exposed to the industry and as a result had more familial connections to the space. So it just felt um, like a much easier thing to tackle. And even if I hit a wall, I felt like I had all these resources that I could pull from to push past it. So that's what really motivated the pivot. And yeah, I think along the way, I just love Launch House because any time that I hit a minor roadblock, I could just walk downstairs to the kitchen and just start talking to a bunch of random founders who were really accomplished. A lot of people were like big on Twitter or things like that. Um, and just able to like pull at their own resources to do everything they could to help me. It's, it's really weird. Like now I'm living with someone from launch house. I spend like a lot of time with people from launch house and all the time we always reflect on how we only met each other, like within the past three months. Um, but they feel like my best friends. That's awesome. And I love, I think something that strikes me about your story is that you seem to have a really keen sense of assessing the support and the resources that are available to you and then making kind of like an independent decision based on it. Like you are influenced obviously by the the different things that have happened to you, but you're assessing the situation. And, and I feel like 
you're taking a step in the direction that you choose and kind of like reassessing along the way, which I think if I had to look at the people who I see being most successful in, you know, public right now, they're the people that are building in public, which is something we talked about in our last podcast episode with Lex and the people who are able to like pause, assess and pivot or not even pivot. That's like a, that's a big word, but sort of adjust really quickly. Uh, so I just want to say like, I, I definitely see that being a huge part of your success in the future is just the ability that you've already shown to be able to like make the most of obviously shitty situations, but also look at the resources around you and be like, this is going to be the difference between me being successful now. (laughs) Yeah. Thank you. Um, yeah, yesterday my, my boyfriend was telling me, he thinks it's so interesting how I build a company because he's an entrepreneur as well. And he was saying like, I pull at social resources way more than most people. Cause I think anytime I don't know something, I would just prefer to like validate it from a trusted source. But I think his approach was to just like struggle through Google or try and find a mentor that's really experienced in the space. But yeah, I, I don't know why that is, but I thought it was interesting that he observed that. I think I just like, like to, I'm motivated by people is what my therapist told me. Um, Same, I love that. <laughs> yeah. So I, yeah, she said that's like usually the main motivator for things in my life is just like the presence of people. So I think if I have people that I let them know what I'm working on, they hold me accountable. And I think that's why I'm a fan of things like building in public, which I'm trying to get better at. Um, I tried learning in public for a little with crypto startup school by A16Z. And that was pretty successful. So it's been cool. That's awesome. Have you run into any challenges, you know, throughout, in all honesty, it's like been a short course of time because like you've like pivoted and just like took off really quick, you know, through your story. I think like with the pandemic, we forget how long things have been. And it's actually a short amount of time, which is impressive. So have you encountered challenges through that short period of time, either around like you know, you coming, just graduating from Muscle like in 2020, even encounters just coming from, you know, being a woman as well? Hmm. Um, yeah, I guess, I don't know. I, I think because my company is so young, like it, with Andrew's surrogacy, I was working on it for about two to three months, but it was mostly customer interviews. I wasn't like truly approaching building a product quite yet. In the past couple of weeks, I am like really building um, a product and I'm ready to launch and raise within the next month. So I think I'll definitely encounter more challenges then. I think being coming from Wellesley, it's a women's college or historically women's college. I think I am really aware of gender dynamics in social settings, but if I'm in an all male setting, I almost feel like more empowered because I think it makes me different and special. And that's kind of like what Wellesley taught me. And also I think being mixed race, like whenever I was in like pretty white settings, I always thought that me being mixed race just made me special. So yeah, I think in terms of gender dynamics, I never really felt like too much friction. I think just the main piece of friction that I feel is impending liability, especially working in healthcare. I just always feel super liable. Like people are always telling me like, what's going to happen if you, even with umbilical cord blood, if a shipment gets lost, like cord blood can never be recovered again. So that is really scary to me. So I've been trying to work through how to ensure that those kind of mistakes don't happen. And also I've been thinking about just how to reduce stress. Um, like when I was working 
with, on, for a bridge strategy and working on that, my schedule was usually 10 to one. Uh, so like I would wake up at 10 and then start working until 1 AM. And then at night, my brain was so wired. I usually wouldn't fall asleep until two, but I think now that I'm like starting to build another business, I'm really trying to manage my stress levels a little bit better. So yeah, just, I think, I think I can mainly do that just by writing extensive to-do lists and making sure that I can walk away from them. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. For sure. I'm a big fan of lists. Katie knows that. Um, So I know you mentioned that like one of the big things that, you know, you feel friction around is especially like the liability and all of that. How about like getting into like the healthcare space? How did you kind of go through that and like learn anything that you might have not been familiar with from, you know, previously, especially coming from like a design background into focusing in on healthcare. What are some tips that you might have for, you know, our listeners that might be intrigued in getting into that space, especially because you've done it so quickly? Like, what's your your secret? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I guess my secret is honestly, like my therapist had kind of like the social interaction. Like I did on deck health. I think that was really helpful to just better understand like regular regulatory aspects. And I was also able to get in touch with healthcare investors who gave me a lot of proper feedback. Um, I think another thing is my family and just familial experience because my family spent so long trying to find a match for my brother um, and umbilical cord blood. They became very, very familiar with umbilical cord blood um, technologies and just how it really works. So they were able to pass on the information quickly to me. So I guess it's kind of like the unfair advantage I had there. But I think the third thing is I've been trying to build out a TikTok presence, which is honestly how I'm getting most of my traction with clients currently. And usually if I have a question, I will research it and then make a TikTok about it. So in that way, I'm kind of building in public. And I think that helps to solidify the information to me if I'm able to regurgitate it properly to an audience and make it coherent enough that it will go viral. Um, Yeah. So I think that that's just another key tactic that I have is just learning in public. Mm -hmm. I really love that framing of content creation. I don't know if that, does that feel like the right word for it? Yeah. Yeah. I, I feel like it gets a really bad rap a lot of the time and it kind of gets conflated with influencers, which is like kind of an antiquated term at this point, but the idea that your job is to make information sort of palatable and easy for people to digest. I think that that's not anyone's only job, but to lean into that as a way of growing your own knowledge and confidence in the space seems like such a smart way to leverage just like a period of learning for me anyways, from my perspective. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think um, I saw this tweet today. One of my friends from Launchhouse tweeted building or learning in public is the new building in public. Um, and I definitely yeah. think that's true because if it's interesting enough to me to create content about it, then it'll probably be interesting to others. So I've had quite a bit of traction. Like since I started two weeks ago, I committed to really making a lot of content on this like fertility related account. I have fertility friend, and that's where I've been getting all the traction and inbound for my company. So I've been making just like, like fertility related content and things like that. Um, so yeah, I've been, I'm, I've been making about three videos a day. And since I started doing that two weeks ago, I've been gaining around a thousand followers a week. Um, 
And yeah, usually like one in every four videos goes viral and viral meaning like above 10 K views. So yeah, it's very interesting. Yeah. And I love that when you treat it like a numbers game and not like, it's not personal. I mean, there was something that you brought up in a previous conversation that we had around how actually personalizing the source of your sort of content being like a fertility friend instead of, you know, Anja or whatever company, it actually makes it a lot more relatable for people, but from sort of like the perspective of metrics it's great to focus on numbers and conversion and just to say, Hey, like this is contributing to my business in this way. And that's why I'm putting in the time and effort. It's not, it's not personal, like depersonalizing it, I think ultimately will help you achieve your goals by the sounds of what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I I think it's hard to say with really big influencers, like if Charlie D'Amelio was strategic, like it seems like she wasn't that strategic about her fame. But I think most people that are famous, I think are very strategic about their fame. And if you treat it more as like an execution strategy, then you putting yourself out there, you'll, you'll probably be more successful and also have better mental health from it. Like I usually just see like hate comments and stuff as engagement instead of hate comments. And I'm also more inclined to like kind of post whatever as tests instead of taking everything really personally. Like during the early pandemic uh, months, I was posting a lot of like modeling content on my personal TikTok. And I just felt like every, if it got less than like 300 views, I'd take it so personally or like, um, yeah, yeah. I felt like you're disgustful. Yeah. Yeah. Or like even my mom, like she'll delete a Facebook status if it gets like, if it doesn't get a like in like an hour. (laughs) (laughs) They've like trained us at this point to just be so hungry for the likes. It's ridiculous. (laughs) I mean, I'm curious for you to talk a little bit more about, I don't know that there's necessarily based on the way that you're building a specific end game in mind for any of this. It seems like you're really open to just watching it develop. But for you personally, like, I, I hate the term like thought leader, but I don't know a better word. Are you looking to become an expert in this space and like an expert content creator, a trusted source of information? Are you looking to build a career that takes you deeper into healthcare and be able to sort of like create products around whatever, um, sort of health issues speak to you? Like, what is your sort of, I mean, again, I hate this question, but I'm really curious, like if things go well in the next five or 10 years, like what do you see yourself doing in terms of like entrepreneurship or um, working in the healthcare space? Yeah. I mean, I think a platform is always helpful. I don't think there's any downsides unless you're really impacted by hate comments um, and also just the flippant nature of cancel culture. But Uh, those things aside, if you can like live with that, which I think I can, I think a platform is really advantageous no matter what you do. So I've been kind of thinking about that more because I'm about to hit like 6k followers on my, um, TikTok account. And yeah, it's just kind of interesting, like what that could potentially turn into if it, if I was able to hit like 10k and things like that. Um, like I've been looking at my follower analytics, it's like 86% women, there aren't any age analytics, but just by like clicking on random profiles, they're generally like 25 to 35 um, and things like that. So I think like that could potentially pivot into like beauty or something like that. Um, I think I'll always have an affinity for healthcare because it is the most impactful industry to me. Like any other job that I've worked, I always thought at the end of the day, like if 
I was actually impacting anyone or if I stopped doing my job, if like what would happen. And for all my past jobs, it was kind of like nothing would happen. <laughs> like they just find a replacement. Yeah. But I always wanted to do something that if I stopped doing what I was doing, it would like negatively impact the universe. Like I always want to be putting something positive forth. Um, so I think that's why I really like this business. I think the only other industries I'm attracted to is like the creator economy and crypto. And yeah, so like I run this meme account with my roommate, Hot Crypto Girls, and we just kind of like randomly post like little funny tweets and stuff and have like a hot girl, like brand voice. Um so I think that's like something else that I'm interested in, but I think for the most part, I'll always be tied to healthcare in some way because it's just always impacted my life. My boyfriend has ulcerative colitis and just had like his colon basically unplugged. My brother had cerebral palsy. My dad's a doctor. My mom's in like the pharmaceutical space. So I think it's just always been something that I'll be connected to. So I think no matter what I do, I'll always work in healthcare in some way. And I would like to build a platform. I don't know so much about thought leadership. I mean, I think- if I become one, then like, that's okay. But I think it's not really so much about like personal achievement of like following, I guess, as much as like the advantage that comes with having such immediate access to a bunch of people. Mm-hmm. Definitely. I think there's unprecedented access to a million different ways to build your own platform right now. And I think that it sounds like you've tried and sort of like played with a bunch of different mediums like podcasting and TikTok and I'm sure Instagram and and other channels like that. And um, I guess for people who might be interested in trying to build out a platform, do you think like when you are consulting around um, a business, do you recommend certain platforms based on the industry, based on the audience? Like if people are thinking about, okay, I see the advantages to having a platform, no matter what I'm doing, just to be able to access people and to be able to share information, where, where do you start with that kind of thing? Like what advice would you give them? I don't know. It's kind of interesting because each platform is so unique. Like I, Twitter is the newest to me. I really wasn't that active on Twitter until I joined Launch House, which was in January. Um, but I think TikTok has the most power. So like for all of our, um, Gen Z consultancy clients, um, under bridge strategy, I always suggested that they get on TikTok and it, I, it seems like very daunting because it's a lot of work to create video content. Um, but I think the nature of the algorithm is just so unique that like the discoverability is kind of crazy and it democratizes fame and like access to information, um, and things like that. So I think my main advice would just be to start on TikTok. And in the beginning, I think people don't really understand when, uh, like all my friends who first started posting videos, they don't really understand like what goes viral. Um, it's easy to understand how to make a video, but it's hard to understand like the culture of TikTok and also like which niche you want to fall into. But once I think you post like 10 or 15 videos, you tend to get a hang of like what the trends are and things like that. Um, so like one guest we had on our podcast, um, the like fashion related podcast statement piece, he's an influencer, um, Isaac Kinden Miller. He's also a, a DJ and journalist and things like that. But he told us his TikTok growth was very strategic because his Instagram growth had slowed down and his manager always wanted him to post a lot on Instagram, but he hated um, just the idea of like propping himself up as this like fashion icon because that's what he was kind of known for. 
So on TikTok, he would just kind of make like silly, like ASMR videos and like things about New Zealand, which is where he was from. And so his strategy was just always go to the main search page and then do whatever trend is um, trending with the hashtags. And so he would make like three of those videos a day. And now I think he has like 500K followers or something. Um, so I think that's the main like TikTok strategic tip. And then also using any trending audios, um, even if you're just speaking, you can silent the audio and put it at volume zero, but using a trending audio will help boost it. Yeah. I mean, it's funny because like you said, it's something that it's not that challenging, but it's also not easy. It just takes time and energy and effort. And I think it's super intimidating, especially to people who maybe didn't have any experience around Vine or short form video content in general. I think it just, it's really, Sarah and I, Sarah is smiling because we have this conversation like on a weekly basis where I think we both love TikTok and we spend a lot of time there, but we also get we sometimes will sit next to each other. This is like a totally random tangent, but we'll sometimes sit next to each other and watch like three recommended videos on hers and three on mine. And they're so different. Like we're not that different of people, but the algorithm yeah. is like so good. It's insane. Yeah. So I, anyway, TikTok. I was is just telling her too on the side while you were talking where I'm like, I'm not that old, but I feel old right now. <laughs> like hearing you guys talk about she like me TikTok. The other day. I made a TikTok and she's like, stop making TikToks. You're making me feel so old. I'm like, it's fine. You can make it. No, but, but I think like older people actually do well on TikTok because like young people think it's so like iconic that you're so trendy and like yeah. even on TikTok. Um, yeah. And even like I used to feel old being on TikTok and I'm only 22 because none of my college friends were really on TikTok um, and none of my high school friends, like they always thought it was so weird that I would even post TikToks. But then when I got into Launch House, everyone was on TikTok and always using it strategically as a business move. And like there's this one uh, girl, Moral, she has this account, My Startup Life, that on Instagram, but then she kind of transferred it to Moral Eric on TikTok. She just broke 200K, but she just makes memes about like VC life and entrepreneurship. Um, and she's 26, but she like pumps out content like crazy and she carefully analyzes it. Like she's a spreadsheet of content ideas and the analytics, how they do. And then she'll just replicate the ones that do well. Um, so yeah, it's very interesting. When I moved into launch house, I also felt more like accepted into just kind of doing random things, like doing whatever you can to achieve your goals basically. So yeah, anyways, that's also say that you should get on TikTok and not yeah, feel yeah. old. You I think the first it. thing, the first thing we're going to do after this is like open, I think we've got a TikTok account that has nothing on it, but yeah, we do. I, yeah. Yeah. I think <laughs> for, for Moss, we do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's totally, I, I think what you just, the point you just made about the community and the context that you're within, um, obviously there's aspects of hustle culture that can be unhealthy, but I think actually one of the low key, really cool things when you're around people that are just like, how are you going to make it happen? TikTok isn't an intimidating or, you know, kind of like uncool or cool thing. It's just a tool to get to the goal that you want to achieve, right? It's, mm -hmm. it's going to be replaced by something in like a decade, maybe, maybe not, we'll see, but it, there's going to be something else that's like, everyone's like, oh gosh, how am I going to do this? And I think by just like almost taking it off of a pedestal and kind of just treating it like functionally, you kind of get that edge and by surrounding yourself with people who are supportive, obviously that makes a huge difference too. So 
Um, that to say, Sarah, can you stop shitting on me for me? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but okay, I am we, not. I liked it, and I boosted you. So yeah, you did. You did. We're all good. We're all there's there's no there's no beef here. Um, anyways, thank you so much, Catherine. This has been, I think, not to like be make it about age, but I do think you're the first like proper Gen Z that we've had on our podcast. And I love that we just went deep into TikTok and content creation <laughs> and still made it about healthcare. So we really appreciate you coming on and, and hanging out with us for a bit. And um, we're so excited to see what you like. Like I said before, I think that it's just going to be so fun to watch you build and to get to celebrate like your wins because you're you're building out in the open and you're like seeking out support in the community. And it's really cool. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. It was great. Of course. Um, if people want to connect with you, where's the best place to? Yeah. Um, so on TikTok, my account is Fertility Friend. And then um, my company accounts are useanja um, on Twitter and Instagram. And then my personal Twitter is um, Catherine, K-A-T-H-R-Y-N-J-C-7. And my Instagram is the same, but without the seven. Oh, perfect. Well, we'll link all that stuff uh, in our show notes and um, maybe we'll have you back in like a year and just see, I mean, if you've done this much in like six months, then who knows what's going to happen like 12 months from now. And <laughs> you're going to be like, you're going to have your own VC fund where you're just like, oh yeah, you know, I'm like funding all of these products now. It's no big deal. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And hopefully we can work with you too. In, yeah. In one of definitely. your many projects. Yeah. <laughs> It'll be fun. Awesome. Well, thanks so much. And uh, we'll talk to you later. Okay. Sounds good. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moss and Friends. If you'd like to connect with us further, you can find us at whoismoss.com or at whoismoss on Twitter and Instagram. We'll see you next time.